We got it. We there got we, it. Go. We, got we go. It. We, we got go. it. We got it. We got it. We got it. It always gets to that frustrating point, believe me. Oh, my gosh. That was weird. Yeah. Well, sorry about that. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay. All right. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I'm, I was playing your song. This is Craig, everybody. So. Hello, everybody. So this is your little intro right here. I love this. I love this song. As long as you're mine. Oh. That was dope. That was super dope. <laughs> Seriously, you. it was. I love that. Did you play everything on that? Because I've been watching your videos. I don't know. I've been posting. I've been posting some of Craig's videos on the website just so people know how to how to like start to make music sound that good. You know. So did you do everything on that? Did you play the drums? Did you? What did? What did you? Yeah, do? I, I kind of give you the shortest long story I can give you here. The. Uh, in 1974, I wrote this rock opera, and I recorded it on a five, on a, an old reel-to-reel where you could bounce tracks back and forth and ping-pong, and it sounded terrible. It was really the best I could do at the time, but I played all the instruments, except I didn't have drums at that time. Last summer, I'm, up, I'm actually up in uh, Mammoth Lakes now, and last summer I was up here as well, and right around this time, about a year ago, I had a mountain bike accident and fell and broke nine ribs. And fractured my clavicle here and was in the hospital for a couple of days, took months to recover. But in the time that I was recovering, uh, I had this recording from 1974, this rock opera I wrote. So I could still I could still play and I could still move my hands like to play guitar. Of course. Even though I couldn't do anything else except sit on a couch for three or four weeks and barely breathe. I don't know if you ever had broken ribs, but. Mm, it's not fun i've had a, i've and, had broken just a broken cartilage and just in the chest that was painful enough i can't even imagine you know <laughs> broken rib you know so well, actually to, today i actually got back on the same bike and went riding again for so a year later to kind of get back on the horse so and then i jumped on the motorcycle and went riding and, and dirt bike riding on that so i'm back i'm fine that's awesome. but anyway during during that time i i taught i relearned the the whole uh, opera because it was about 45 minutes long at that point and it took me about two months to relearn it and honestly I, I wrote it when I was probably 17 18 years old and I can't believe what I was able to write at that time even yeah. though I didn't have the technology well now technology is obviously caught up to us yeah and I decided when I came home in September to record it so I spent about 300 hours relearning it playing all the parts and using a lot of new technology now, a lot of new uh, recording techniques, drum sounds, sample sounds, and is most of it is live from the perspective of live guitar, live keyboards, live bass, actually really playing the drums, even though electronic yeah. singing, and and very so there's not a lot of sampling going on, but there there is some sample piano and there is some drum samples that I use, but other other than that, pretty much everything else was live. So that's where it came from. And then I started the YouTube channel, Craig Colley Music, on YouTube because I had so many people just like you asked, how did you do that? How did you play all those parts and still have it sound live or like a band and with a lot of feel 
exactly. how do I do that? Exactly. So I started to take a new song that I had written and broke it down from the very beginning, how you arrange it, how you record the, the first the grand piano and how you edit that, and then how you capture the bass and edit that, and then like, add acoustic guitars, add electric guitars, add drums, uh, other instruments for flavor, how you mix it, how you master it, and, and how you market it, just like I did with uh, my other albums. So probably have about 30 videos recorded already on that, and they're slowly being released two a week at this point, how I do it all. And they're actually, they're very long, very detailed, and it's not for the person who doesn't really, you know, wants to dabble. This is gives you an education, actually, how you do it if you're doing it on your own as a, if you're, you know, multi-instrument type person, songwriter and producer, engineer, and all those hats we wear today. Oh, so yeah, believe me. I've watched, I've watched all of them pretty much. And uh, huh, I really have. I'm not kidding. And it, because I do the same thing here. And I think the one thing that I lack is, you know, uh, the one thing I lack is, is staying focused on one thing, you know, as, as that creative mind, it's like, you know, I'll have one song that will lead to seven songs that lead to no songs, you know what I'm, and that's where sometimes I, you know, where, where I'll just get hung up on some stupid drum beat where I'm like, I've got a drum set in my living room and, and I'm like, just do you have a drum set in your living room. Oh yeah, I do. And I, I, I really do. And uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but my problem is it's my, my neighbors just moved out too. So, but I didn't like them that much as <laughs> I bet was. they did. <laughs> yeah. So they, when they bothered me, I would just get super pissed and just play loud. But, but my point is like, I, I just keeping a simple beat for me uh, and, and kind of seeing the perspective as a drummer, like, cause I play, you know, other things. It, it's, it's hard for me to break away and just be like, let me be that drummer and record as a drummer and then, then go to the bass and record as a bass. That, that's hard for me because I get stuck in just that, that, Oh, that Dylan frame of mind where I just want to write and then just keep writing and then have other people play. And, <laughs> but, but dude, it's, 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 it's hard and, and that's a craft in itself it really is one of my favorite guitar players of all time uh jay mascus dude he 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 does that he like on some of his albums it's just all him and you hear him as a drummer and you hear him as a guitar and when you hear that it's just it's like prince it's just like a, it's a whole you know it's it's a different thing than a band and i i i love it it's kind of like you know even though nine inch nails is um what's the word they're a great live band but Trent Reznor is one of those dudes too that just does it all. He's in the, he's in the studio and he's just doing it all. So when he gets to the band, they're gonna play whatever the hell that he just created in the studio, and that's that's just an art. It's a complete art form, you know. So, yep. Okay. Well, so it, it takes it takes a, a certain amount of pre planning, you know, with the songs you're gonna. You know, you talk about that you have all these different songs. You just got to start categorizing them. And is this one worth recording? Is, you know, it's a song worthy. Yes. You know, the, the song, everything is about the music is the song and the feel and the vibe. And yep. if, if none of that happens, then you're not going to really communicate very much. And that's what's cool about the pandemic, because, uh, I, you know, I've been in a band for like, I don't know, about eight years now. And we, we were just, things start to spin and you just start to like, put out whatever you can just as fast as you can before it falls apart and with the pandemic <laughs> knowing that like that's just that's the truth and with the pandemic it was like if those if these people are still here at the end of all this and they still want to 
play music and hit drums and do all that stuff, man, it means something to them. And I saw my bass player do one of these interviews and she was so pumped about what was going on that it like made me pumped again. And it made me think, oh yeah, it, it, it is worth, you know, something. And, and why do we create? What, what inspires you to create? What, what makes you create? Pain, pleasure, problems, challenges, all of them. Yeah. Some are real stories. Some, I mean, I've been contracted to write things as well. For example, one time uh, there was an organization that Down syndrome children are typically taken care of by their parents. But as they all both age, their parents in time can't take care of them anymore. Yes. So who takes over? So there's organizations that do that which I didn't know, know anything about until I was approached and they asked me to write a song That's awesome. for the organization. That's awesome. So it was kind of a, a, even though I donated the song, it wasn't contractual with a, a financial end of it. But it doesn't matter. You gave me your it, heart. Yeah. So I, I wrote a song called Eyes of Love that all you see is, if you just look in the eyes, that's yeah. all you see. Forget the body and all the other things yeah. that are going on. Totally. And, and, and so that was a different way of getting inspired because once I knew the story, yeah. Then it was much easier to write something about that. But some of them just come out of, I'm the kind of guy that I can just sit down and make it up, right? If I had a guitar right now, I could make something up right now or yep. a piano. Not, not that it's all good. Yeah. Because a lot of it is garbage. But you got to go through that to get those little gems and hear those melodies that may start ringing in your head. And, and, you, and then they all they, then they start haunting you. Yep. And maybe with your songs, the songs start haunting you. No, Those are the ones to record. They definitely, and the one, yeah, the ones that you just, exactly. You wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, that's still here. That's it. If it's still, yeah. if it's still there. And, and like I said, that's the cool thing about the pandemic is there's like, you know, I, I write, like I said, nine, 10 at a time. And then you narrow it down to the ones, like you said, that are worth the shit, you know, and if they're not worth it, what's, what's the point? You yeah. Know? Unless you, unless you just personally want to record them. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. It's all preference. It's all preference. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, if, and it's, it also helps if you have something that's organized. So what I did with my studio, I, I, I gutted it, rebuilt it, even though it's in a small room. But now it has a workstation in the vocal booth of, in the v, where I sing and record the guitars, workstation with a monitor, keyboard, and mouse at the drum set. I have a stand-up desk that has the same thing with the keyboard, yeah. sit-down console. So I can just move from instrument to instrument without having to set everything up and move everything. That's awesome. And then I put in a multi-camera, A-camera um, live switch. So when I'm doing these things, then you have multiple different angles uh, when you're recording them and showing the videos, and especially on the tutorial side of it. That's really cool. So I'll tell you, me, I've got it. I've got my own like home studio, and I've got I've got all the bells and whistles, but I'll tell you this. I've been on vacation all week. I haven't recorded anything, okay? And I've got songs to record. But what's funny is when I go back to work and I'm sitting in that the, the UPS brown truck, okay? And <laughs> yeah, I, I've I, seen you that. Yeah, I can actually close the doors and the cab. And all of a sudden, I'm just in this isolated studio. And at that yeah. point, like you said, technology is so different. I just pull out my iPhone and and I literally just start to record, and then that sound, then I drag that to the computer at home, and then I start to, imp it's just crazy what technology we can do now. And that that closed off studio is better than what I've done 
you know, the closed off truck is more than what I can do here. <laughs> but it's also, I'm in the work frame of mind as well, too. Like I'm at work and I, I want to do this. I want to, how many, I'm going to do this from one or two takes because I've only got 15 minutes. You know, at home, right. I've got this endless amount of time where I just like, okay, I'm going to do 50 takes of shit. But when I'm, when I'm working, it's like, no, you know, it, you got to be critical. I got, I got 15 minutes, let's do this. And I really do get more done at work than I do at home but you know it's all fun it's all fun that's that's where me and craig met by the way i i was his delivery man like how long ago like how long have you been gone from that place uh, about five or six years i had a retail store that we did digitizing of all media from photos videos film audio to digital so we could preserve it and one of the reasons I did that business is because I saw technology evolving. I thought everyone's going to be using a phone, a computer, something with a screen. Yep. They want to keep their memories. They have all these old tapes and pictures and nobody's printing pictures anymore. But I saw that there was an opportunity there to create a business to do just that, to digitize everything. And the, one of the main reasons is I was when I was full-time musician, I did over 12,000 gigs, probably over 35,000 hours on stage. I played all the time and I was on tour all the time where I had storage areas, different places around the country. Cause I wow. didn't really have, even though I had a home base in California and, and one in Nashville for a while, I was for a while on the road. I had no home base. I was just mobile. So all my, I always say pictures and tapes. They always meant something to me. I had recordings going back to my band when I started in 1966, I had those tapes. And when I was touring, I had a big RV and a big trailer uh, behind me that we fill up with the equipment and, and uh, touring gear and so on. And I came off the road in the mid nineties, early nineties, I guess. And there's a place called the coach house in San Juan Capistrano Definitely. concert hall. And I opened a recording studio next to that. And he used to do a lot of the concert recordings, but we had a full room and a full studio in, in that same industrial park there. And I put my RVs and, and my touring vehicles, my big trailer behind the coach house. And at that time, I had moved all my personal stuff into the trailer. And as I was you know, moving into a place to live, well, someone came along and stole the trailer. Oh, Lost damn. everything. All of it was gone. Oh, my God. And that was where I stored everything. And so there's a gap between like 66 and 95. I lost all of that stuff. Wow. And that's when I thought, okay that I can't be the only one that that means something to. So I started a business called picks and dubs, picks for picks for pictures and dubs for transfers okay. and opened a retail center doing just that because I lost all that stuff. So I don't want anybody else to go through it. Straight up. So it worked and we still have the business. We just don't have it there anymore. It's, it's genius. Still going. genius. I, I love that too. Cause I'm all about technologies and, and, and all that. I, I remember one of the things that I lost, simple things that I lost was, a. Uh, I had all my concert tickets, you know, just these concert <laughs> tickets. And it, now I, I take pictures of them, and, but I still have like a, like a folder for them. And I kept them in the back of my car. And one day it just got super hot and every concert ticket just turned black. And there was just oh. nothing I could ever do. And I, it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say I lost those memories, but I, it feels like I lost that I did. I feel like a part of me yeah. just lost that ch yeah. almost childhood, you know? So this is the next question. Right. What was your first musical uh, thing that you saw that like turned you on, that made you want to like, who, what was your first musical memory that, that you sparked with? And you're like, dude, I want to be a musician. Who was well, it? Or, I grew up, my, my, 
my mom was a musician and, a, and a, more in the choir and, and, and shows and she played the piano and this and the lead soprano in the choir and things like that. So I grew up with, with music and started taking piano lessons by force at around first or second grade. Yeah. And then in 1964, the Beatles came on Ed Sullivan and that point that that was it. That's all I wanted to do. I started making fake guitars out of cardboard and, and, and sewing thread and stood on my bed, turned the lampshade, pretending we were the Beatles. And then in <laughs> 1965, uh, for Christmas, my brother and I he's got a brother who's three years older than me, and he also plays. Uh, we both got guitars for Christmas that year. And so that, from that point on, I'm self-taught on everything except had some piano lessons and had some voice lessons. Other than that, i just one of those guys that just wanted to learn how to play those songs so bad that I just taught myself how to do it. That's it. Taught That's really it. the theory of it. You so want to, that you want was to put yourself in their mindset. You know, you really do. You want to know what John was thinking. Because when you do, when you start <laughs> to learn these other, you know, what when you put yourself in other people's shoes, whether it be their chord progression or their solo or whatever it is, you're really living in their, their mindset. Because I know when, you know, I've had a friend try to learn one of my songs and I'd have to really show him how to do that. He couldn't just fudge it because I almost have to like throw my soul at him. You know, and when you really like get something like, you know, something John or a Paul, one of those songs, like you got to put your heart into it, not just because they're technically good, but because their heart's in it. And if it's not, it's not believable, then no one cares. And I've watched your performances. You, you're awesome. You, you schooled my ass. I, I'll never forget this. One time you're leaving picks and dubs and I just was like trying to, I was noodling around with the guitar. I had like a guitar and I'm just like trying to do some minor pentatonic and, and you just looked at me and you're like, let me see that. And you just <laughs> literally just, you just did a couple of licks where I was like, Oh man. And that forced me <laughs> to, to just keep going and keep going. And, huh. and I think that's what musicianship is. I think, you know, you inspired me and talk about the coach house. I, I played on that stage like four or five times now like it's one of my favorite places you know and that place when i was homeless for a while i that's where i went i'm like i'm gonna go see the english beat at the coach house and just that whole environment the the live the live scene of the, the drunk people the just the, the whole atmosphere was just it was i wanted to do that you know i thought wow wait people can do this they could they have a choice to do this yeah. for a living and you do yeah. so not yeah. everyone has to follow the, the typical, you know, way of life. And when you break out of the rules, it, it you know, it's kind of fun. So, well, I was, I was actually fortunate to the time I'm, I'm 66. So I've been around a long time I've been on gigs over for over 50 years. And one of the things that I can actually be the most proud of, I never, ever missed a performance out of all those thousands. I never, not one. That's awesome. I was never that sick. Uh, but that being said, when when I started playing at the young age, the technology was changing, the time was changing, the songs were changing. Every, I grew up with all of that happening. I had my first band in 1966. We made five bucks for the whole band. I was a buck and a quarter apiece. Nothing's big money. Nothing's changed. It's still the same. The next, yeah, the next <laughs> gig was ten bucks, and then you know we went up from there. So I mean, I just grew up doing all the gigs. I mean, all the school gigs and all those types of things, and just transitioned into full-time musician after after college that's awesome that's awesome. I was a music major as well okay what was your what was your biggest musical moment like like just the one where you're standing going oh my god i can't believe this is happening 
probably the, the biggest musical moment I, I ever had was playing something that was called the We Fest. It was it's the third biggest country festival in the United States. It's in it's in Minnesota, and I played that, and that has an attendance for seventy thousand people. Wow! And and when you're playing, I, I I think that gig I opened up for Brooks and Dunn and Carlene Carter and Aaron Tippin. At that time, I was doing a lot of country, and I was living out of Nashville. But I remember standing on that stage thinking, "This is." This is the biggest gig I've ever done. The, one of the things that caught me the funniest is that you've got people right in front of you, but on the side of the stage were two big, huge screens. So the, all the people in the front row are just like this. Yeah. They're not even looking at you. They're yeah. looking at you on the screen and you're right in front of them. Yeah. But that was one of those moments you realize you're in a, that's a, that's a big venue, a big gig. So that was, that was very memorable. It's funny because I was going to ask you what was your after a follow up like what was your most awkward moment? I don't know if that was one of them, but what, what was the most awkward? <laughs> uh, boy, probably huh, most awkward moment on stage. Hmm, there were a lot. I, I guess this would be one. Uh, I was playing this I was I was in a 50s show band for for a while at the end of the 70s and the early 80s when uh, a lot of 50s bands were very popular like a Sean and type band yeah we had a 10-piece show band and I used to close the show and I think we did Johnny Be Good and I would bring somebody up on stage that dance with me during the solo so I was singing lead on that one so I wasn't playing the guitar or anything and this woman came up and she tripped she's like she broke her ankle oh my god and it was like Oh, you know, because I felt bad because I was I was pulling her up. And yeah. So I was almost liable for the accident. Yeah, I wasn't. But that was like I, that never meant for that to happen. Totally. And then at that same stage, another awkward moment was there was a high rise. There's two steps you had to jump down. And I we used to trade off a lot. And I jumped down and I caught my ankle on the on the second stair and I completely twisted my ankle, I mean, out of the socket, back into the socket. Oh. The stage was still dark. And because I was announcing the next act coming up and it just happened. I went up and I grabbed the microphone. The spotlight came on in front of a thousand people and I just completely dislocated my, my ankle. Oh my God. And I, I was seeing like, you know, everything was just lit up inside me. And somehow I announced the person and hobbled off and, and you got through it, but I was on crutches for weeks after that gig. Right? <laughs> yeah. That was I, a little awkward. I had, a, I, had one, I had one awkward moment. You reminded me of this time that, you know, you just forget because, you know, like you said, yeah. you played so many, you know, I've, I've been playing for about eight years. It's, that's not a lot compared to the track record of life. And so, but one of the, one of the moments I remember is I have this whole thing planned out in my head, you know, like I have this guitar and I've signed the back of it. I'm like, whoever has this guitar can see my band for the rest of their life for free, like this whole <laughs> thing, you know? And so I'm, I'm coming off the stage and I'm like, I beat it up and, and I look at this one guy and I start to hand it to him. I hand it to him and he's just scared to death. Like whatever I was doing on stage, Stage, I really scared him. So I handed it to him, like, this is your guitar now. This is yours. And he looks at me like, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to take this guitar. It's going to be glorious. He's going to read the back and he's going to be a fan. No, I scared the shit out of him to the point where he wanted to leave. And then I looked at some other guy that was in the, the, the prior band before me and I just handed him the guitar. And he looked at me like, 
I hate you anyways, and I'm going to take this just out of spite, <laughs> you know, and it was just, you never know what you're going to run into on stage. And, you know, I think that's the appeal, you know, you really don't. I've got one more quick, funny story to share with you. I was playing yeah. in a place called North uh, uh, Prince George, British Columbia. It's 500 miles north of, of uh, the U.S. border, uh, north of Washington. And it was 26 below zero. And there was nothing in this town really than lumberjacks and strippers and a rock band would come in once in a while. And it turns out we played in this place where upstairs was the rock, the, the nightclub, and downstairs was a strip club. So it was just a bizarre series of events that happened during that week there. But the funniest thing, we were a 50s band at that time. And that old song, going to the chapel and we're gonna, and this brawl broke out into the bar. I oh mean, where barrels are flying, gonna get married, smash, <laughs> band punch in the face. Gee, I really love you. Guy, tables flying, the cops coming with billy clubs. And we just kept playing because that was yeah. the safest place to be. That I wish I had captured that. That was just classic. It was particularly because we were doing that song. Yeah, of course. That's amazing. <laughs> That's funny. totally amazing. I love that. Okay, so I won't. I'm gonna veer off the music subject because you know, after a while, sure. That's all we do. So, all right. The the new the new videos of all of the the, the new how do I say it? These pill shape uh, like UFOs basically that are flying around with the government. As they said, they don't know what they are what 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 have you have you heard of this recently like the pentagon there's these pentagon uh tapes that are released and they're they've been everywhere but they just show aircraft going like fifty six thousand miles per hour and taking a right hand turn and just basically stuff that we physically can't do what 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 are your thoughts on that well i've always thought that I was if I asked myself a question if the if a UFO came down landed and asked me if I could go with if I wanted to go with them yeah. would I go yeah and my answer was always yes but then the caveat of what if you couldn't come back mm -hmm. you know and I would still tend to say yes although you're leaving so much behind and and, and in, a, in a way it seems kind of selfish in a way um, but I'm so interested by it I'm not thoroughly convinced that we have I mean there's so much evidence everywhere that of the exist, existence of these things and uh, I, I will tell you something very interesting about that when I had my recordings to you I had a guy bring in uh, some videos of the alien autopsies which you may have seen those before of course and he also had a sound which he said of a flying saucer or some kind of UFO taking off and landing he actually had the recording of it and so I was making a copy of it for him at the time. I didn't do any altering, but one, well, while I was queuing it up in the computer, you could reverse the sound very easily. And I, and I dragged the slider across, and I realized that with most sound, when you reverse it, it sounds different. It's just, just there's a different quality of sound. Yeah. A, a, a vacuum sound. Or, you know, totally. it's, it's very common what? in some it, of it, it, Yeah. <laughs> We've all heard it. Totally. And when I reversed this sound, there was no difference. Oh wow! And I've never heard a sound not do not be different in the other direction. Wow! So that one was like okay, and then honestly, having the retail business, we had lots of things come in where people had pictures of things that that we sometimes we documented, we put a label over timing of it, and so I'm I I think that 
I don't know how they couldn't be here yeah. for one thing. Yeah. And, and I don't think we're it. I think there's the universe is so vast yep. that uh, I, I also am a firm believer that past lives is a possibility. Definitely. And, and here's the reason why a lot of things you do in just using music for a moment. When you get to know what a G chord is, you just go and you play the G chord. You don't have to stick your finger on a different frets and figure out where it goes. Yep. You just do it. Feel it. It's feel a motor it. skill that you, you, it becomes memorized. All your motors functions become memorized when you get better and better at something. And the same thing happens when in, in life. And here's an example. I used to work in the golf course years ago and there was this old tractor. And every time I got in this old tractor, I would just put my foot on the gas pedal and expect it to start. And I don't know why I did that. You totally. And this old mechanic who worked there, somehow we were talking about it. He goes, oh, yeah. Well, the old, the old cars used to have the starter switch for the engine under the gas pedal. That's where it was. Wow. So I went back out to the tractor and I looked and there was a hole where that starter switch would have been wow. years ago. Wow. And I used to just get in that thing and hit the pedal and just like, I had done it a thousand times. Yeah. Of course, it didn't start. Yeah. But that was a good example of where did that come from? Why yeah. would I do that? And that's, you know, with science, now they're like saying a lot of things, how like the, the atoms that make up our body, they never truly die, right? So if you think about like a hermit shell, I always compare it to like a hermit shell. You know, you got this this body, but then you got the shell of the hermit. When, you, when, that, when, that dude, when that hermit, the crab inside needs to get a new shell what's he do he just leaves that body and he goes and finds another shell and then he starts another life i think that's what we as humans do or not humans but spirits i think as spirits we kind of jump around from from you know shell to shell and i think yeah i, I think whatever you retain you know, especially depending on your karma, you know, like I'm sure Hitler probably learned a lot. I know this is totally off subject, but I'm sure, you know, Hitler learned something. And I would hope that that guy would have to come back in some form to try <laughs> to keep evolving into something better and better and better. Because I think that's really to me, you know, and that's the that's the other question. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? The, the whole the whole shebang. What does it mean? Well, when you look at it from all these different perspectives and, and a lot of the posts that you have are very, uh, they're deep, you know, you have to stop and actually think about them. And I'm sure that's why you do that. That's why you're successful because you're, you're all these probing questions and all these probing issues. And when it really comes down to it, we all need to feel some kind of significance for some reason as humans. I don't know why, yeah. why we care so much about people. We don't even know what they think of us. Yeah. I have no clue. But we do. Most of us do. We're always concerned about, you know, they say that public speaking or being in front of people is scarier than dying for most people. Totally. Because, totally. because there's just something about our vanity or the way that we're built. And really, I think if you're going to leave any stamp on anything, it's got to leave something that's going to help grow and, and make this a better place. Even if we're here temporarily, if you're a faith-based person, it's a one-time shot. If you, you have faith, but you believe in other things, maybe there's multiple shots. No one can prove it. Nobody knows. Uh, just like with UFOs, supposedly we, we should all know, but really we can't still prove it a hundred percent. Even yeah. though I, we might be able to, if we had access to the information, but so just something that is resonates inside you inside your heart and your soul because that's going to be here and when your body goes your soul is going to go somewhere 
Yeah. And it may go into another person. It may go into another animal, another thing, another place where heaven and hell exists or something in between. There's so many different ways of looking at it. And when you think about what people believe globally, there's hardly, there isn't actually any civilization that has ever been discovered where they didn't believe in something beyond themselves. Exactly. Everybody had something else, not just them. Yep. So maybe we're here to design to please our creator, whoever you think that is, help those that we care about, and just to be a good person. I mean, it, there's that, nothing's more valuable than sharing love and peace and, and striving for that and not focusing on all the negative sound bites that are just saturating our souls every day. Totally. And just corrupting our thinking based upon not being able to even make your own opinion. And if or, you voice your own opinion, you're going to be judged. Or getting enough, like we are in this show. Or getting enough likes. Someone's, you know, yeah, I see these exactly. Now they're on TikTok or whatever, and I, I yeah. can see if they're not getting their hundreds of millions of views. Like I, you can physically see that now they've got to revert to to being this whatever the trend is at the time. Where you know. Uh, I'm Gen X, so I didn't have this technology. Like, I was coming into the internet at that time, but we didn't have the phones. Like, we still were at the point where, like, you know, we were out till the lights, you know, came on. Then we had to come back in. There was, it, we still had that freedom. I, I grew up with without the, the electronic leash, and I see the kids now. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's just different, and, and it's definitely got consequences to it. I, I am happy that I didn't have social media as a teenager. That I would have been a train wreck for sure. I was already I was already suicidal as a kid because you you're very unsure of things, you know. And I was very unsure then. And like you said, the public speaking, hell, hell yeah, that's I couldn't read aloud because I'm part dyslexic. I, I flip certain things. So the, hey, I'm lexic too. Exactly, I'm dyslexic. Exactly. So I actually so, am big time. I, yeah, so you want to overcome these things because I think when you have these 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 challenges, either you can just be like, oh, use them as, as crutches and be like, I can't do this, or you can push and keep pushing and keep pushing. And when you do that and you're on stage and you know that this is the scariest shit ever and you're still doing it, once you can topple that, then you're kind of like, what's next? What's next? You know, and then you understand how James Dean jumps into a, you know, fast car and you know, because you just you want to keep going higher. It's it's that happy medium. How do you stay leveled? And and that's what you know. I could tell that the teenagers of today is like, man, that that shit is temporary, and and so is social media. And I think all of this is going to be a trend. And sooner or later, things are just I'm not ever going to say it's going to go back. But even me, I, I'm bored of this technology. Uh, I see that it's just using to sell a platform, which yes, is my art, but then you have this thing to push and push and push and it just becomes this endless cycle of bullshit. And if your heart and soul's not into it, then, you know, it loses it. And I feel a lot of artists probably lose that because of this. So, you know, but what am I to say? I'm, you know, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? <laughs> so I'll, I'll say this one thing about the, the aliens too. I, I heard this mm -hmm. tonight that the, the government, like the biggest reason that we don't like know is because they don't want, like even the, the videos that they released, 
they don't want, say, the Chinese or said Russians or whoever are, you know, the people that would cause threats to see our technology in any form, like like military cameras. They don't want them to see that at all, because once they do, they know where we're operating on. So that totally makes sense. And that's where I wonder if all these documentaries and all these things coming out are just a, a, a propaganda way to let the, the masses know you know, in, an, in a covert way, like, shh, you know, like the Pentagon saying, hey, there's 144 things we don't know about. Shh. We can't say yes, but there's definitely, you know, something. So that that's just a, a thing that I heard tonight that kind of relieved me a little bit because I don't understand why they don't tell us. Because part of me was like, if you don't tell us, that means I've heard a conspiracy where they're just coming and they're going to kill us no matter what. And they're just, and they, they, they know it and there's nothing we can do. So they're just like, who cares? But at that point, what does it all mean? <laughs> well, they're always, they're always trying to control mass, you know, pandemonium that happens Fear. because of the events and, and people do have a tendency to express themselves quite differently when things happen. And last year was a good example of that. So, Definitely. Uh, a nation, a, a scared nation is probably not the best nation to be a part of if you can avoid that. But it'd be nice to have some truth in it, at least. Definitely. All right. I'm going to supposedly Harry Truman's presidency. There was one day that was a, not accounted for. And that's supposedly when he visited Area 51. Heck, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, yeah. you know, you know, his daughter talked. I think I talked about this on the last show. His granddaughter, his granddaughter swears that he met with these greys. They signed a treaty and treaty said that they were allowed to take us and do experiments. And as long as they didn't harm us, everything was okay. But then supposed <laughs> like something happened where they had a down crash. And when they did that, they, they found human just arms cut up like we were just they just dice the stuff. This is all a conspiracy and, and there's could be total disinformation. But like when you hear stuff like that from the granddaughter of a president and it's still like valid and it's on TV and no one's discrediting it, that's when things get a little interesting, you know? So yeah. I totally know exactly what you're talking about. Cause to me, that was the craziest conspiracy. One of the craziest conspiracies I ever heard was that one. I'm like, no way. This, this sounds like BS. Yeah. You know, but then yeah. those are the ones that usually end up being true. There's this other guy, um, he had a talk show, uh, and he was the guy that, like, came out about this stuff way back in, like, the, the, the 70s. Uh, I forget, he wrote this book called Beware of a Pale White Horse, and he, he talked about the greys. He talked about him working on military bases and seeing all these things. And he had a radio show. And this is real. He he was driving in the desert, and they pulled him over, and they said, "Dude, if you don't stop talking, we're gonna just we're gonna we're gonna harm you." And he's like, "I'm not gonna stop talking." So <laughs> they pulled him over again, and they chopped off his leg. Okay, they they. Then the government supposedly chopped off his leg. And I'm like, this is this is mind-blowing, too. No way. And this isn't going down the rabbit hole, okay? This is me at 3 in the morning. And I'm like, how can this be? How can this be? And then I'm like, how did this guy die, all right? Because I'm like, he's got to be dead, right? I look him up. Uh, Milton, I can't remember his name. I'll look for it. 
I look it up. He he posted his last post like publicly. They're coming for me. They're coming for me. I like I'm gonna like he knew that they were coming, right? And then I look him up. He died because the government um said he was uh, tax exempt. Like he didn't pay his taxes, so they went and shot him to death that's all legal this is all out on the internet like the guy that wrote that book got killed by the government because he didn't pay his taxes but prior to that he's saying they're coming for me the dude wasn't cooked out he he just said too much when it was not that time and now it's all coming to fruition and you know you see these people just kind of you know being right all along you know, so that's crazy. But who am I to say? I don't know shit either. They can turn around tomorrow and show us all fake. You know, it's all fake. So, anyways, I'm stoked that you came on. Thank you. you it's great. Do you, uh, do you have any uh, new music you're working on that you're going to be putting out now? Or Yeah, actually, I, I'm, well, this one song that I've been uh, recording from start to finish on the YouTube channel is taking all my time, but basically it's, it's one thing when you record a lot, another thing when you actually explain how you do it as you're doing it. And I'll be honest, I'm not used to doing that at all. So it's taken a lot longer, Totally. Uh, but, but I want to get that finished because there's just some, so I'm actually at this point, even though the vi videos being released twice a week, they're all done. You're, yeah. You know, so I'm a month out on, on, on what I've already of uh are showing of now of course so the song is actually finished and then i'll market it and then at that point i'm going to start recording just a lot of songs that i have written that i want to re-record now that i have a ferrari sitting in my house instead of you know in my garage or wherever it totally. used to be and the technology totally. has changed a lot so i have lots of i'm just i have a catalog of probably another three or four hundred songs to record i mean literally so I'm just going to start taking a piece at a time and and once you do it a lot and then you go from instrument to instrument and you're proficient, and it's hard when you play a lot of instruments because it's hard to be good on all of them. Exactly. Although there's a lot of editing techniques and, and recording techniques that really can allow you to do a lot of things that people don't even realize you can do, uh, except for people in the studio that have done these things. But uh, So lots lots of stuff coming, lots. But I've learned anyth if I learned anything, our attention spans are so short. You could have a 15-second video and still – only going to watch it for 11 seconds you know i mean it's it's insane no, how it's a little window i started thinking i'm like man okay is this what i gotta do to make money do i have to start making like like you said 15 second songs that are like you know i feel like i am obi-wan like I, i'm not the only one like that's it that's it <laughs> is that what i do now like it's so i can make a lot of money so i can go and make the other shit that i like the real stuff but you know, I, that's, you know, that's what you got to ask. And that's where the industry is definitely changing. And who are we to say? And uh, it's a little depressing and stale, you know, because, well, you know what, we, we have so many choices that when you have so many choices, there's a lot of times just too many choices and you, yes. you're polarized because you don't know which way to go. There's just too many things to do. Exactly. And you're distracted every three seconds on whatever you're doing. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, it's just it's just a different time. And if your mind isn't the type to keep up with that, you know, there's a lot of older people that I've talked to and I'm older. I'm a senior citizen, but I'm not that typical senior citizen. Totally. But so many of them just go, oh, I, I'm just too old. I'm too old for that. I'm too old for that. That drives me crazy. Yep. Because you're never too old for anything if you want to take a little time and 
figure it out and learn it and maybe maybe it could be useful you know yes. maybe and it becomes it becomes addictive like when you start to learn whatever it is it's that elasticity in your brain right you start to crave it and that's like why us as musicians we always want to like learn something new because it's not so much you know it's not so much learning the songs and shredding, but it's really getting that cheap high in your brain of like, oh yes, that was really hard. I had to fight through, but now it's worth it. And that's the, the high I, I think of playing music, you know? Absolutely. But, um, hell yeah. There's nothing like nothing like music to bring someone to tears or just more smiles all over their face and they goosebumps and you know, all, all those things. And if you're touching people that way with your music, uh, or even making it controversial, or you're, maybe you're upsetting them with something, yep. or you're soothing them with something, yes. or they're saying that song, that song, that's exactly me. Yep. You know, that's how do they know that? How do they reach into my soul and grab that and and write that down? And I know he's talking just to me. Yeah. And I'm speaking outside of Charles Manson, by the way, with Helter Skelter, and not referencing that. I mean, all <laughs> the other good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different show. That guy. Huh? That's a whole different show. The one thing that I do love about uh, like you two is when they they did that that rattle and hum and Bono comes out and he's like Charles Manson stole the Beatles we're stealing it back you know like <laughs> you're like dude I was like I was so young I was like twelve and I'm like what is he talking about I had no idea and then as you grow up and you're like holy shit all of this really happened they did this it starts to blow your mind and it's it's history musical history and I think that's what we have i think musicians get to tell the story that the politicians and history books are never gonna say you know i, I believe david bowie and miles davis over any history book or you know propaganda tool that i've seen in school you know so i'm not trying to be all rebellious but i really do i've learned more things through the records that i have than you know and just being outside than i have being locked up in any institution so music definitely does does teach. So where can we hear your music? Where can we listen to it? Just anywhere you could, Craig Colley music, C-O-L-L-E-Y. And just put Craig Colley music. You could ask Alexa, Siri. It's on all the streaming services. I just like it. Call up my name and it'll come up. And, and if anybody wants to help me out, just add it to your Spotify or whatever your playlist is. And that would that helps us as artists more than almost anything. Definitely. Any likes and anything Instagram is just getting a playlist because otherwise people will never find it. Yep, they, they, it's impossible. There's you know eight, sixty billion songs out there and then more coming out every day. There's just no way of finding it. Definitely. So playlists are one of the most important things. I love these <laughs> crazy I love these comments. I love these comments. Definitely, knowledge is power to evolve. Uh, Robert Gabriel says, "Take this job and shove it." I love this. <laughs> this is great. I like to read a little bit of the comments at the end, you know, just to. Yeah, just uh, but yes, I definitely agree. So okay, well everybody, jump on his page, listen to Craig's music. I'm I'm stoked that we figured this out, and you know we 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 got this going. And uh, dude, I I wish I could see you more around town. So you know, yeah. Well, I see you driving around from time to time, but uh, it's less and less. But I, I think I'm going to try to stay there just so I can. Uh, stay fit you have know a, have a studio in your truck that's really it you know and, and the more <laughs> i do that and, and and a free gym it's it's all awesome so <laughs> there you go yep 
Well, I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's been my pleasure. Hopefully, your audience has, has enjoyed it and benefited some, from it somehow. And Definitely. And I look forward to doing it again sometime. Hell yes. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Do All I right. sign off or you, you? I don't know how to end this thing. Yeah, I, you could, I'm going to sign off too. So just hit the end. Okay. We're all good. And heck yes, Craig. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right. I love it. Thank you, James. Keep up the good work on your side. You too, brother. All right. See you. Later.